Kia ora, and welcome to the New Zealand Property Market Podcast, brought to you by CoreLogic, produced by Agents TV for the 17th of April 2023. My name's Kelvin Davidson, I'm Chief Property Economist at CoreLogic, normally joined, of course, for regular listeners by Nick Goodall, but he's away on holiday, up a family holiday in Northland, so... Uh, Nick, when you listen, hope you're having a good time, and uh, hopefully we don't ruin the podcast in your absence. But um, given Nick's away, I'm uh, happy to announce that today I'm joined by Alan Gilbert, who is the Head of Banking and Finance Solutions at CoreLogic. So uh, welcome, Alan, and I wondered um, if you just want to give a quick quick spiel on yourself and, and your role at CoreLogic. Thanks, Nick. Um, so Alan Gilbert, um, I look after banking and finance um, from a solution perspective, um, so making sure that whatever it is that um, the banks need from a property data um, and an attribute type of information that, that we deliver what it is that the banks are looking to help them um, manage their business. Yeah, nice one. And uh, the accent gives away that you're originally <laughs> from uh, offshore. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, um, came down to New Zealand 18 years ago. Um, with a backpack on my back and um, decided I wasn't going to leave. So, yeah, been um, been here for a wee while. And as you can tell, if you've got a Scottish accent, you don't generally lose it um, <laughs> when you travel overseas. So, yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I spent uh, I spent 10 years in, in London and, um, yeah, people are like, you never picked up an accent. And and maybe I did at the time, but, but yeah, I think you uh, you keep what you bought or what you raised with, I guess, eh? so. No, it all yeah, good. Gets gets a wee bit stronger. I've just had my mother here. Um, she was here, so it gets a wee bit stronger whenever they come here. Yeah. Um, and then they kind of it, it goes down a bit when they leave. I think. Um, I think the only time that I had somebody speaking to me and what I think was English that I couldn't actually understand was uh, at, a, at a test match at Murrayfield. So, um, so yeah, a thick accent from time to time. But um, no, that's all good. Uh, glad to have you on the podcast. So the the plan for today is really just I'll I'll do my normal. Kind of run through data there's there's a bit of interest going on at the moment and then yeah we'll we'll have a chat with alan about um some recent cool stuff that CoreLogic did around i mean obviously a disastrous event around the auckland flooding but but some some really interesting stuff that CoreLogic did around um, satellite imagery and and the way that that mapped onto the flood impact and possibly ways that people will be able to use that in the future so Hopefully that will reveal some good insights for people. So, um, but first up on the on the data front, last week we had the Cordell Construction Cost Index (CCCI), which uh, showed a slowdown. So there's no surprises here. We saw a 0.6% quarterly increase in construction costs in Q1, eight and a half percent annual rates. So these are much slower rates of increase through 2021 and 2022. We saw sort of quarterly increases of two percent. So this is quite a sharp slowdown. No surprises because you know that uh, the supply chain issues have, have faded away, especially for things like plasterboard that were a big issue last year. A bit less demand too. Let's face it, interest rates are up. It's going to be harder to get a, a development loan, get that new build project off the ground. So I suspect you know, there's a supply and demand thing coming through here. Sounds like an economist, but you know we're seeing less, less pressure on costs from the supplier's perspective. And I guess less demand coming through as well. So, you know, I wouldn't necessarily think it's going to get cheaper to to take on a new build project. We're, because keep in mind, labour is a big component here as well, and that's not going to go down in price. So, I don't think it's going to get necessarily cheaper to take on a new build. But at least that that rate of growth is slowing down. So, interesting to see. And and it's taken a while. You know, we have been waiting for this to come through, but certainly seeing new dwelling consent slow down now, and of course cost growth slowing too. So. 
That was a uh, pretty high profile release last week. And and yeah, I think from here it'll it'll slow down further. So like I say, it may not get cheaper, but at least for people to think about a new build, uh, the rate of increase will at least slow down. Um, we also had last week uh, bioclassification, CoreLogic bioclassification data. This is for March. Obviously a pretty flagship set of data for us. First home buyers still still hanging on pretty well. Now the caveat with these bioclassification stats at the moment, of course, is that sales are very, very low. So the number of deals here is low. But in terms of market share, first home buyers still doing pretty well, 24, 25% of activity. So that's pretty much a record high. Yes, it's in a quiet market, but but at least their market share is holding up. Now, lots of different things first-time buyers are doing, but certainly one thing is using those low deposit speed limits at the banks. So basically all of that speed limit that banks have to advance low deposit finance to owner-occupiers is pretty much going to first-time buyers. So, so they're definitely taking advantage of that and, and that's the way into the market for them. Cash investors or cash multiple property owners still doing pretty well too. Their market share kind of running 16, 17%, which is basically, again, a record high for that group. So uh, yes, number of deals is low, but I think you know, it's, it's the cash is king thing at the moment. If you're, if you're an investor, you're not reliant on the bank. Um, you're, you're perhaps sniffing around for some deals, you know, getting some, some cheeky offers in. If it gets accepted, great. If it doesn't, well, you move on to the next one. So so we're certainly seeing that, um, that cash MPOs are a reasonable share of activity. On the other hand, mortgaged MPOs or mortgaged investors pretty much uh, at a record low. So struggling in terms of, of their historical performance running at 20, 21% of activity. So so still, you know, one in every five deals going to a mortgaged investor, but but that's pretty low by their standards. And again, there's there's no surprises here. You don't have to look very hard for why that would be the case. Rental yields are low, mortgage rates are high. The top-ups to keep these things running week to week, month to month, are, are pretty substantial at the moment if you're thinking about a new purchase. And of course, interest deductibility gone as well. So that's that's been in the headlines over the weekend, you know, around the, the new tax year and what it means in terms of tax bills this year going up, you know, thousands of dollars, depending on the size of the mortgage. So so that's um that's mortgaged MPOs, pretty quiet. We're also seeing movers quite quiet. So these are relocating owner-occupiers this year at the moment, dip below 25%. Typically, movers make up perhaps something more like 30% of activity. So uh, pretty low share. Now, again, you don't have to look too hard for why this would be the case. We know there's there's very few new listings coming to the market at the moment. So people aren't, people aren't testing the market. They're not listing. So, of course, if they're not listing, well, they're not going to be buying either. So... So in other words, movers are not moving, movers ain't moving, so um, tending to stay put. And, and there's a lot of uncertainty, of course, about uh, you know say length of time for a sale, the possible price they might get. So I suspect people are just waiting to see what happens. And uh, so they're not listing, they're not selling and, and not purchasing property. So, so yeah, differing trends, definitely first-time buyers and, and cash investors are out there, at least in terms of market share. Mortgage investors and um, movers are quieter as well. Um, one thing, of course, though, Alan, we're seeing around movers is that um, there's this repricing thing going on. We know that people are having to face up to higher higher costs on their mortgages as they roll off sort of 4% onto 6 or 6.5%. So I assume that's uh, an issue you're discussing with the banks at the moment. Yeah, yeah, it definitely is. Um, we've got, you know, a lot of people um, moving. You don't generally know what kind of term they're on. Um but you know whether they're looking at um, refinancing onto um, different 
with different banks. I think um, last night, um, Grand Designs was on last night. We saw um, ANZ come out with a one um, percent cash back up to twenty thousand dollars. So um, that that refinancing um, industry is going to get a lot more competitive um, over the next couple of months um, into next year, probably. Um, yeah, it's um, and you know the banks, um, you know they they're going to be focused on. Um, getting those um, customers across one of the one of the complexities however of this will be the um triple cfa so um with all the regulation that's required now and and all the evidence that's required of banks to prove um whether or not you can actually uh, maintain and afford that loan is also kind of making customers a little bit more weary about switching banks because they have to go through a big process as well so um, refinancing will be a big focus for the banks, but it's it's whoever can make that job the easiest um, for those customers coming on board is probably going to win in that area. Yeah, yeah. There's discussions I certainly have with with banks is, is all about this this flow of repricing. But I suppose on the on the positive front, you know, there's 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 definitely a perception I get that that it's it's been managed pretty well so far, and, and lenders. Uh, uh, obviously aware of it, but also borrowers uh, still in work. You know, the, yes, it's, it requires an adjustment, but they're still in work and they're managing to to go through that process and, and refinance pretty successfully. So I suppose, you know, fingers crossed that that continues. A lot will depend on on the labour market. But interesting to see some of those cashbacks sneaking back in. And, and you know, um, up until that last decision by the Reserve Bank, we'd actually seen some mortgage rates sneaking down as well. So I guess some... Um, you know, price competition coming into it too. So, so definitely pretty, uh, pretty tough battles out there for the banks in terms of keeping those customers. Um, but yeah, nice one. So on um, on the on the data, the the other thing we had last week was was net migration, and this is this is really really rising strongly now. These figures can be revised, and they they are quite substantially from time to time. But in the year to February, we had net migration to the country of 52,000. Now, there's still people leaving. We've got young New Zealanders heading off overseas, but uh, there's a lot of new arrivals coming in. There's a sort of pent-up demand thing going on here, I think. So people are still really, really keen to, to move to New Zealand. And, and as I say, that, that overall net migration figure for the past 12 months, 52,000, averages historically 25 or 30,000. So we're back to a point now really, really quickly where we're back well above average. So, um, yep, it adds spending to the economy, adds potential inflationary pressure, but it also adds labour supply and capacity in the labour market. So, you know, I think in, in inflationary terms, it, it could work out sort of net neutral, uh, from that wider economic perspective, but in terms of housing, of course, fifty-two thousand more people in the country than than perhaps otherwise would have been adds property demand. Now it could show up through rentals first. You know, you, I guess your average kind of new migrant to the country is is going to rent first, maybe rent in a big centre, so it, it could add to some rental pressures in in, in Auckland, for example. Um, but either way, whether they go into rental or owner occupation, it's it's extra demand, extra people in the country. So, just really adds to that case, I think, for for expecting this downturn to come to an end relatively soon. You, know, you talk about mortgage rates at a peak. You look at net migration coming in strongly. Listings are starting to turn a little bit in terms of that stock on the market. 
Um, you've got maybe some confidence could start to come back off, off those factors, maybe investors starting to target the market again. Um, so it, it really, the sense of this case for, for the, the, the downturn potentially coming to an end soon is, is starting to build. Um, so is that what you're kind of seeing? Um, just, I was just going to make the comment just about the affordability side of things. Um, you mentioned earlier, it's it's a bit of a, it's a bit, it can be a bit of a shock moving from 2% to 6, 6.5%, but um, that generally doesn't tend to flow through for another six to nine months. So you've got that, um, you know, whatever people are carrying in terms of um, their reserves, that's when it starts to get eaten up. And that's when we start to kind of see those mortgage rates really start to kick in is a little bit further down the line um rather than straight away but yeah it's going to be um in ter- yeah look in terms of um people coming into the country 52,000 net migration is a big number um I don't think we've seen that for um five six years if that um so yeah the, the, there'll be pressure on um mortgages there'll be pressure on um, housing there'll be pressure on um rents um so yeah I would imagine that um it should be if we, if we can get a hold of handle on this inflation and get it down a little bit, um, we should we should be in for a, a relatively slow and shallow, a solid, relatively quick and shallow um, recession. Fingers yeah. crossed. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, speaking of inflation, if, if we start to look look to the week ahead, that's actually a, a massive thing on the economic calendar this week. So Thursday at ten forty five, Stats New Zealand will publish the Q one CPI data. So obviously one of the main things that the Reserve Bank looks at in terms of their monetary policy mandate. So really big release, key for the Reserve Bank. Um, Now, the expectation, unfortunately, is that inflation won't really have changed much in the first quarter. So we had that 7.2% result for Q4 last year. The expectation is that it'll probably be somewhere similar in in Q1 this year. So so not much change. Inflation still a the big issue now the expectation is that when we get into q2 and q3 in terms of the inflation data that's when we'll start to see it slow down but just for now it, it, the expectation for thursday is that it'll still be relatively high now what it means for the reserve bank and mortgage rates probably not much actually because this has been expected for a while anyway so it's all been priced or the reserve bank's been anticipating this the fact that it in that's behind their expectation that the ocr probably has a little bit further to rise the banks know that they've priced it in too. So I'm not sure that it will have too much uh, sort of impact on on mortgage rates or the financial markets. What would be a surprise and what what would change things is if it was markedly higher or markedly lower. So I suppose that's the thing to to really watch out for. But if we do see a 7.2, 7.3% for the CPI on Thursday, it's not necessarily panic stations. Obviously, not great. It, it, it's a real cost for for households. But it might not necessarily mean too much for for sort of mortgage rates or, or the wider markets. So definitely a key one to look out for. Just prior to that, though, later this morning we've got some rent figures. So these rent price figures are part of the CPI. So it gives you a little bit of an early warning sign, I guess. Um, now those those come out a bit later this morning, that being Monday, depending on when you listen. So these have been a bit more sluggish lately. So that there has been some pressure taken off in that rental sector. Um, expect that to kind of stay that way for for March's figures, but like we just talked about with net migration picking up, it could be could be a bit of rental pressure coming through a bit later. So certainly one to keep an eye on. I guess the theme for on the economic front this week is definitely around around prices and and uh, inflation, whether that's rents or or that wider CPI. 
So yeah, that's uh, that's where we are on the data front. There's it's it's been an interesting couple of weeks. There's definitely been some high profile releases come out, and we've got some more to come this week. Wondered uh, wondered if we jump in now, Alan, and chat about this this flood stuff. It's obviously a, a disaster for Auckland and and of course the wider wider New Zealand country, Hawke's Bay and Gisborne in particular, off off the back of the cyclone. But I wonder if you want to just chat through what what CoreLogic did off the back of that and and potentially what it might mean for future offerings. Yes. Thanks, um, Kelvin. Um, yeah, look, so we um, we obviously had the two, um, at the time, um, we had the, fl- the Auckland flooding on the anniversary weekend, which um, at the time was described as um, the worst climate disaster New Zealand's ever seen um, on the 27th of um, January. And then um, a little under three weeks later, we had um, Cyclone Gabrielle come through um, which was uh, the worst climate event that New Zealand's ever seen in its history, um, a little less than three weeks apart. Um, and what we did was um, we used our in-house um, data modelling capabilities to have a look at both events um, from a retrospective um, perspective to understand what took place so that we could um, assess potential damage um, enable us to help um, our banking customers, telcos, government departments, so that they could um, prioritize and respond to their customers um, in a really timely fashion um, for those people who had been been most impacted by that. So um, in terms of the first event, we we had the flooding event. We then mapped that back to some of the New Zealand flood score and flood map data that we've got. So we've got got a great geospatial team down in Wellington. and we've got really quite high resolution flood data. So we took the one in a hundred year flood data that we've got. So what that does is it tells you to what depth we expect to see flooding in a one in a 100 year event over um, different properties. So we map the properties back to the data. Um, and obviously the hydrology of the land tells you where that water is going to pool. Um, so we managed to do that, have a look at the information to then quickly go out um, to our customers to let them know, you know, what what houses they should be um, concerned about and what the, the potential is um, for those houses to have been flooded. Then, um, I guess, just after that, um, we start to track Cyclone Gabrielle just off of um, Vanuatu. Um, I've become absolutely obsessed with windy.com. I think it's one of the coolest um, websites around. Um, so we started to track this um, cyclone coming off um, Vanuatu, which was um, looking like it was going to make a direct hit onto um, the North Island. So um, I went to um, our leaders within the organization and said, right, well, we could take the flood response that we've done um, in um, at the end of January and let's see if we can enhance this product. Let's see if we can do something a little bit different. So we commissioned a satellite um, to go over uh, Auckland on the 14th of January at 8 o'clock. So we got all that signed off the week before. Um, and we they need like 72 hours to kind of position that satellite. So we've got satellite positioned um, to then get a radar image. Now, we chose Auckland. It's a bit like kind of trying to thread a needle. It's like Auckland's just flooded. It's been the worst flood event in its history. Um, three weeks prior. So chances are 
all the infrastructure is still blocked. There's still silt, there's still branches. There's still like the infrastructure hasn't been cleared by the council yet. So chances are there's going to be reasonably bad flooding if this cyclone kind of stops um, around about the Auckland area. So we waited for the cyclone to pass, took a radar image, and then we processed that image and added our flood score and flood map for another 100 um, year event to get a better picture of what had actually happened. Um, we don't get depth off of the radar image yet. And um, that's something we're working on. Um, so we took all that to then analyze and look at the information that we've got around about um, that second event. And then quite quickly after that, we also got the Auckland Council um, sticker information as well. So the Auckland Council civil defense after the first event went around basically chapping on people's doors around the streets of Auckland um, asking whether or not their house had been flooded and then sticking a red, a yellow or a white sticker on that property. So we got that property through. So we were able to see, take uh, all of CoreLogic's proprietary property information plus actual council sticker information plus our one in a hundred year flood map information then overlay that with radar satellite image to give us a much better picture of um, the potential damage that had been caused by um, the both both the flooding and, and, and anniversary weekend and also the, um, the the cyclone. So that just then we can then take that and then hand that out to our customers with a report and um, so that they can prioritize and contact the, the customers that they think will be uh, most affected. Um, adversely affected by that those two events so yeah cool cool little piece of work we um and nice for us to be able to mobilize and get something out to market re relatively quickly and um, that, that can really help our customers so, yeah. yeah no it's awesome and um you know just the to what extent we can release publicly the images i'm not sure but you know the little report you did up um showing you know like eden park for example uh the the sort of theoretical mapping versus the actual flood result was was pretty striking. I remember seeing the images on the news of, of Eden Park basically, you know, sort of being a swimming pool pretty much. So so yeah, it was it was really interesting to see that sort of overlap of, of the theory and the reality. And and I guess, you know, climate change, this this whole it, it's really come into the consciousness, isn't it? And and you know, an issue for well the, the country, uh mortgage borrowers, you know, homeowners, the banks, the insurers, you know, everybody I suppose should should be having an interest in this so it was, it was cool to go and do that and i guess there's there's, there's future plans is there to to keep looking into this thing in, in much more depth oh yeah the the, the as you say the, cl the climate um conversation is only starting only only starting um it's it's a fascinating piece of work um you know it's a it's a it was a slow moving train it's now gathering a bit of speed and a bit of momentum and um with the regulations that's come in for any um business in New Zealand with over a billion dollars worth of assets or a market capitalization of 60 million now has to report back to uh, the XRB with um, their end of year um, statutory results on what their strategy is for climate change, how they're addressing um, their financed emissions, plus their own operational emissions and understanding what their carbon footprint is. So that, that stuff's all being made. Um, part of any regulation and any any company's now end of year financial reports so yeah this it's not going anywhere um and I'm hugely fascinated by it I think it's um a really really fascinating area 
um, and and it just requires more and more and more data and more understanding and more knowledge of um, both what you're doing from an operational perspective, but then actually trying to understand what is going to happen from a climate change perspective over the next 30, 50, 100 years. Um, yeah, fascinating stuff. And um, we'll, we'll certainly be developing products and developing solutions and making sure that we've we're supporting our customers um, with um, the information they need. Yeah, awesome. That's uh, it's 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 certainly going to be a, here to stay, you know. And and so being I guess ahead of the game is very important. But um, no, that's great. So I think we'll we'll wrap it up there for today. Um, big thanks to you, Alan, for for joining me. Good, always good to have a, a guest slot when when Nick's away. Um, so just to wrap up, our our uh, monthly video is up on on YouTube now. So everybody uh, go check that out. Good source of, of information on the property market over the last month. Also look out for our chart pack. That's our second edition of the of the new chart pack. That's going to be released this week. So uh, I guess a, a one-stop shop for all your property data and, and chart requirements. So look out for that later in the week. But uh, that's it. So yeah, once again, thanks, Ellen, and, and thanks everybody for listening. Please do subscribe, rate, and review. Uh, we're on Twitter, LinkedIn, email, or the regular channels. Get in touch anytime. So my name's Kelvin, the other guy's Alan, and you've been listening to the New Zealand Property Market Podcast. Matewa. Well.